even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. False teaching says you have to feel it, you have to feel something, you have to do something in order, in order to be saved. The Bible says you have to receive by faith what Jesus Christ has already done. Paid for your sin and my sin on the cross of Calvary so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have hope be over, over, beyond this thing called life. Amen? And I praise the Lord for that. I want you to take your Bible this morning and hold it up. Hold it up. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, there's a red one in front of you. As a matter of fact, if you want that one, take it with you. But that's the Word of God, amen, that we have this morning. And I want us all to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Next Sunday, I will conclude the series. We're going to look at the second coming of Christ next week. And I'll conclude the series that will usher us into our Easter series on the cross. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. We are within 40 days of Easter now. Is that hard to believe? And we are two years removed from what we thought would never happen, and that's when we went online only for a few weeks uh, when COVID was unknown and we're trying to figure it all out, and here we are two years later. Before we get into the passage this morning, wasn't last week sweet? Man, I have basked in that and praise the Lord for, for what we witnessed last week. Cody is excited, and uh, we are excited for them to join us. They'll be here the first Sunday of April. There, there's a lot of things that have to happen prior to that uh, as they get ready and as they transition from their church. So you pray for Brantwood Baptist Church as, as they uh, say goodbye over the next few weeks and, and begin to set their sail toward Camden. Also, I want to share with you uh, something that really got my attention. Last night, uh, I watched a ball game, and it's really one of college basketball's greatest rivalries, Duke and North Carolina. I believe they're, they're only miles from each other on Tobacco Road, they call it, and it's a love-hate relationship. For instance, my uh, niece's husband, uh, Beth's husband, Jordan, is from Charlotte, North Carolina, and loves Duke but cannot stand North Carolina. And then vice versa the same way. Well, last night was a special game for more than one reason, not just the rivalry, but it was the celebration of Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor Arena, the last home game he would coach after 42 years of being the Duke Blue Devils basketball coach. So it was all a big celebration, big crowds. Ninety former players were at the game, 90. And they made this tunnel, and he walked out, and, and, and it was just quite a, uh, quite a production uh, to say thank you. But there was one small problem during the game. North Carolina came to win the game, and they beat Duke. They, listen to me, lean in here. They ruined the party. They ruined the celebration. They ruined the party. And they beat Duke. And just a few weeks ago, Duke embarrassed North Carolina. Now, this will make sense in a second. 90 players, Grant Hill and all those great All-Americans, 
His whole family was there. It was a special tribute. At the end of the game, he was going to address the crowd, and he did. And he stepped to the microphone, and he said, I'd like to just say a few personal words first. And he looked the crowd over, like you're the fans. And he said, I'm sorry. That's unacceptable what you just witnessed. He recognized, listen, he was still in coach mode. He realized he just got beaten by the arch rival on the last game he would coach on that home court. And it, it was hurting him bad. You say, Brother Greg, what are, you, what are you getting at this morning? I believe Peter is reminding us this morning, listen, that you can't win today's battle yes, based on yesterday's fight. I mean, last week was good, was it not? Man, you got to meet Cody and, and, and 284 in worship. I mean, who, who would, we had it made. Who would not want to be part of a church like that? But I'm telling you, folks, you can't win today's battle based on yesterday's fight. And that's what Peter's reminding us of this morning. Father, have your way in just a few minutes that we'll never get back. Have your way this morning. If there's somebody here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, help them to look beyond me. Help me not to be a stumbling block. Help them to look to the cross at you. If there's a Christian here today who's running the wrong way, and, and, and let me tell you, if you're a believer, God, we know as believers the Holy Spirit convicts, and if we're running the wrong way, we already know it. Would you, would you draw us back? God, if we're a believer here this morning and we're on the edge of making a decision that would change and hurt people and our family and change our life, God, pull us from the edge. Save us from ourselves, And have your way today, we ask in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So next week, we conclude 2 Peter. This morning, I want us to look at the first nine verses as we think about the promise keeper, the promise keeper. When I think of promise keepers in this church, I think of going to rallies with men, uh, with, with 20s of thousands of men, singing, uh, How Great Thou Art, and Holy, 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 and hearing people like Tony Evans preach, and coming back fired up. But I want to remind you this morning that the greatest promise keeper is the Lord himself, and you can mark it down. What he says will come to pass. What the devil says often is a lie to make you think of something when it's not true. The devil will sell you a bill of goods and promise you results you'll never get. But Peter reminds us in nine verses today of the great promise keeper, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter, chapter 3. Verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder. So Peter was all about reminders. Amen? Like Marcia had to remind me, we sang that last week. Okay? Reminders. Uh, do you ever miss an appointment? Do you ever uh, fail to be in a place you should have been? and you recognize you needed a reminder, well, Peter was all about reminders because it seems like that's the theme 
that he wanted to give the people of the faithfulness of God. Be reminded, be reminded, be reminded. Verse 2, that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, that scoffers will come. I want you to circle the word scoffer, and I also want you to circle last days. Scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, Peter writes, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But now the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8. But beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that the Lord one day, it, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you ought to thank God for the last part of verse 9 right there that the Lord is patient, not willing that you should go to hell, but that you should go to heaven. You see, Brother Greg, don't tell me that I'm going to hell. The Bible says that our unbelief condemns us. Don't you ever say that God sent somebody to hell. God has given everybody an opportunity this morning to hear the word, to receive his grace, and to be forgiven and make your reservation in heaven because of his love for you. Amen? And by the way, if your preacher's not preaching about a real hell, he's not preaching the whole gospel. You know what? I believe we've forgotten. I believe we've forgotten that when people die, they go somewhere. What we seem to... Uh, want to think is that everybody that dies goes to heaven. But oh, what a promise it is to know that a believer has said goodbye to this old world and hello to the nail-scarred hand that died on Calvary for our sin. Amen? You see, he's the promise keeper. Uh, you know, when you raise kids, it's important to keep your word, isn't it, dads? You tell them something, you better come through with it. You tell your kids you're going to Kings Island this week, you better take them to Kings Island. If you're, if you, anybody, help me, anybody want to say amen? The promise keeper, the Lord Jesus Christ, always delivers. And in this passage, he reminds us, Peter reminds us of the promises that God has made. Now, when you look at verse 2, the Bible says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, this is nothing uh, new to Peter. If you look back to chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth came, and Peter's writing because there's an opponent to the truth, and it would be false teaching and false doctrine and heresy. Look at chapter 2, 2 Peter, verse 1. My little children, I'm sorry. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, if you want to bring on destruction, you just begin to believe false teaching. You begin to make the shift from the Word of God to uh, maybe the culture in which you live. And because nobody seems to care anymore, Brother Greg, uh, could it be true? Is it true? Um, I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever had doubts about your salvation? Have you ever had doubts about something you believe in the Word? Brother Greg, what, what do you do if you have doubts? I'll tell you what I do. I go to the Word. I go to the Word of God because it has the answers and the assurance to back up the, what the, the promises of Jesus. But yet, Peter is reminding us that there are false teachers and there's false doctrine and there's this heresy that's flying around and we need to be really careful because the day is approaching and time is running out and the importance of being ready. Now, when you look at this passage, if you have your outline this morning, here's the first thing I want you to draw attention to, and I want you to write the word scoffer down. Scoffer. And it's, under, it's important in verse 3 we understand what that means. Knowing the first, verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days. And they'll be walking according to their own lust. Who is a scoffer? What is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who takes lightly that which should be taken seriously. A scoffer is someone who takes lightly that which is something to take seriously. Now, to tell you the truth, I believe sometimes First Southern Camden can have some scoffing in us. What do you mean, Brother Greg? Well, let me give you a few things. That which should be taken seriously, we take lightly, prayer. Prayer. Evangelism. Sharing, the faith, sharing our faith. The importance of the Word of God. You know, a lot of people give up things over Lent, and I had big aspirations. I, I did, I did. And it lasted for about 24 hours. But I'm telling you, there's some things you can't do without, brothers and sisters. One of them is the Word of God. 
Another is recognizing the importance and the privilege we have to pray. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, how do you feel like we're scoffers as a church? Because I feel like we treat prayer lightly when it's serious. What do you mean? We have a prayer meeting, have to beg people to come. Now, you tell me. I'm looking at you. I know you love the Lord. I know you're saved. I know you love Jesus. But the truth is, it's not a priority for us. Folks, if we're going to see a power revival strike out in the life of this church, in the heart of this church, it will be birthed in prayer. And it'll start in the individual, and it'll, it'll move into your family, and it'll move into the church. And I'm telling you, prayer has always been preceded, or revival has always been preceded in prayer. What makes us think we're, the, we're somehow the exception that God will do it regardless of that? He, he will not. A scoffer is someone who treats lightly that which should be taken seriously. Have you ever heard someone joke about hell? Or they'll tell a joke about using hell in the joke? I'm telling you, when you talk about eternal separation from God, it's never something to joke about. Now, he says, knowing that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lust. The Bible gives us some good illustrations. One of them would be in the day of Noah. As Noah built the ark, a, a place of salvation, a, pla a place of safety. Listen, only eight were saved. No one took seriously that God was going to destroy the world. Uh, somewhere else, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, they didn't take seriously. Listen, folks, they couldn't even find ten righteous. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Oh, we can make this little transaction and hold out on God and he'll never find out. Oh, yeah, he did. And then the same day, they both died. The judgment of God. I mean, we're coming out of this pandemic, hopefully. Anybody will say amen? But we're living in a day and in a world where there's plenty of scoffing. And there's plenty of scoffing, folks, toward the cross that Jesus died on. You know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 15, verse 27, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on the right and one on the left. The Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors, and those who passed by blasphemed him and wagged their head and said, Aha, you who destroyed a temple and built it in three days, come down and save yourself. They were taking lightly that God was willingly there for them. So, so what, what is Peter reminding us of this morning? He's reminding us, number two, that we need to be awakened. We sang about that earlier. We need to be awakened to the truth of God's word. Now, I'm always amazed when people come to our church because they're unhappy with where they've been. And then they start wanting me to do things like you did it at the church you left because you're unhappy. Let me tell you something, and this is hard for a pastor, it's hard for leadership to get. God hasn't called us to win a popularity contest, even though I hope you like me. Man, I'm telling you, the word of God cuts. It pierces. 
And if it doesn't get me coming, it's going to get me going. And, and, I, and I don't always like what the Bible tells me about myself. But I sure do like the one it proclaims is the Redeemer and the one who paid for it and the one who can help me have victory over it. Amen? Why? Because he's a promise keeper. And here's the promise I love about God. When he saves you, he's got you. He's got you in his hand. You're not holding on by your fingertips, hoping you'll get there. Remember back in the day, the monkey bars? Uh, do they still have monkey bars at, at, at school? Do they, is it okay to call them monkey? Do we still call them monkey bars? Okay, does that offend some monkey somewhere? But you remember, remember when you're losing your grip? Jeremiah, remember when you're, when you're losing and, and you know it's inevitable you're falling? Hey, the promise keeper does not leave it up to us to hang on. Man, he died, he was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. If you're a Christian this morning, you're in the hand of God. And I'm telling you, the world's crazy. Thank the Lord for Preble County, Ohio, with all of the craziness in our town. You know what I love about a small town? When you're in a small town and people come through and think there are crazy people in our town, you know that those crazy people aren't violent. You know who they are. You, they have a first name. You know who they are. Folks, listen, you have a name. God knows you. If you're a Christian this morning, he will keep you. And as the world turns and as the world changes and as the news explodes, let me tell you, uh, so people would say, well, what's happening in Ukraine? Why is that happening? Because of the same thing that any evil in the world's ever existed, sin. Vladimir Putin just needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he needs to understand that he's never going to be fulfilled with power. His greatest need is to submit to a higher authority. So how are we awakened to the truth? What do we need to be awakened to? Let me remind you of something. Next Sunday is time change. I got to bless the early service by telling them this. Next Sunday, we're going to worship at 7.30. 7.30. Here we go. What do we need to, ba what do we need to get uh, awakened to? The basics, number three, the basics of truth. For him, used to sing that old song, we need uh, to get back to the basics of life. Okay, what are they? Worship. Worship. The Word of God, our textbook, the gospel, our message, evangelism, our intention, missions, our direction. Not just giving, but in going. Uh, Richard Foster, in his book entitled Celebration of Disciplines, he breaks disciplines down into three categories. The first one is inner. He says the inward disciplines uh, refer to things like Meditating on the Word of God, prayer, fasting, doing without so that you can set apart to hear, hear God, Bible study, digging in. He said those would be inward. But there are also some outward disciplines. The practice of a simple life. I wonder how many of you this morning would call your life simple. Um, we're, we're returning to a simple life. Yesterday, Renee said, Greg, come out here, come out here. I said, what's wrong? She goes, something's wrong with the garage door. I, thought, I said, oh, there ain't nothing wrong with the garage door. 
there's something wrong with the garage door. I saw, I saw a cable hanging loose and thought, that's not good. And I thought, I wonder if you can open it. And I yanked a little bit and yanked it and finally got it open. Our car was still outside. I wonder if you can get it down. When I got it down, I said, that looks good. She goes, no, it doesn't. There's a problem. One end was up. The other end was high, low. What are you saying? I need an expert. I need somebody to come in and help me with something I can't fix myself. I'm telling you the disciplines are what we are missing when it comes to the Christian life. You can't be a freelance Christian and just do your own thing. Let me tell you about Christians that don't want to unite with a church. Many don't want to commit. Many don't want to commit. And, and, and let me tell you something. I wish everybody watching could experience in person again because there's just something about being together physically that reminds us of the importance of community and the importance to worship. The disciplines do things for us we can't do ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit of God moving in a believer's life. They're outward, simplicity. We live in a world that says, get this latest update on your app or on your watch or on your phone and your life will get better. It seems to me that the apps keep coming. And simplicity becomes, how do I update it? It also involves submission. It involves service. Those are inward. But there's thirdly, the corporate disciplines. Confession. When was the last time we had anybody stand in front of the church and say, pray for me, I've messed up. Oh, no, not here, Brother Greg. People would then think I'm struggling. Hey, get in line. Everybody in here is struggling. Everybody in here is struggling. Worship, that, that is a, a corporate discipline. Seeking guidance from the Word of God, getting direction. And then Foster concludes by saying celebration. One of the greatest disciplines that we fail to to take part in is celebrating what God has done or is doing. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the discipline? And I believe Peter is reminding us of it. It's to move beyond the surface to the depths, to get deeper. To move from where I'm at to the next step. Diving just a little bit deeper. Ten years ago, Renee and I got to go to Hawaii. We're blessed on a trip, and I, I turned 50 while we were there, and um, I, I bought a Hawaii 5.0 shirt. You'll get that in a minute. And we went snorkeling on a five-hour snorkel trip uh, out into the Pacific. There was just little island kind of reefy thing, and and they dropped us off, and we were there to have a good time. Renee and I have done a little snorkeling together, so we thought we were kind of intermediates, and they dropped us off, and we realized quickly we had a problem. We came up and realized our boat was about 100 yards away. Now, just think about that. Pacific Ocean, shark infested, a, a blip on the, on the radar of God's screen, Boat 100 yards away. Guy blew a whistle, said, hey, 
the mooring on the bottom of the ocean's broken loose from your boat. They're sending a rescue boat in to get pick you up. Go ahead and enjoy the, the swim until they get here. Renee and I were a little scared at that point. So when we were swimming, we were locked arm in arm. And if you've ever snorkeled, it gets a little intimidating when you start listening to your breath. So we were like, is that a shark over there? And, and as we were swimming and, and, and hanging on to each other, all of a sudden something caught my eye and just scared us to death. Anybody want to guess what we saw? No. Scuba divers. And I was reminded that scuba divers don't swim in shallow water. They get deeper. Do you want to be a snorkeling Christian the rest of your life? Everything you do, listen, everything you do, you hear... <laughs> You hear your own energy doing it. And I believe when you look at this passage, Peter is reminding them that God has a plan. And when you trust his truth, listen, there are going to be plenty of false teaching in your life, but you've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth. We got some kids going, uh, Isaac, we got kids going to Christian colleges. Let me tell you something. There are Christians in college that act like worldly kids. So you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to make choices. As, as we get older, you've got to make decisions yourself. You've got to decide if you're going to honor God or, or, or if you're just going to float away with the culture of the world. You've got to decide, are you happy with where you're at as a Christian and, and I just want to be a non-committed snorkeler? Or do I really want to take a dive and see what God wants to do in my life? We're living in a day where we mock people who try to do right. And we just agree that maybe the devil's got a better plan in the culture in which we live. So he says there's going to be a group that walks in their own lust. Now, when we think of lust, I think oftentimes we just think of sexual sin or sexual immorality in our mind and heart. But folks, let me tell you something. Lust is doing something that's forbidden. Lust is exchanging uh, your worship for God by putting something else in the, the blank space. Um, God's not happy with that kind of heart. What do you mean? Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So, look at verse 4, 2 Peter 3. Those that have walked in their own lust and sang... Where is the promise of his coming? Now listen to me. Listen to me. We believe that Jesus is coming again, amen? Many of the Jews were still looking for Jesus the first time and missed it. And their question, listen, is a question that people's asking today. I don't see anything different. I don't see Jesus making a difference in your life. And, and with all this stuff going on, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Be reminded that the believers who are living during this day thought that Jesus could come just as Paul in their lifetime. 
And if we're 2,000 years removed, are we not closer to the return of Christ? And before you and I say, I sure hope God wraps all this up quickly, may we be reminded that there are loved ones and people that don't know Christ in our circles, and God somehow is sovereignly giving them a little more time. 1 Corinthians 15, I love that chapter. Paul said in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all be dead when Jesus comes. But we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. The other day at Dorothy's burial, when we got to the cemetery, as many of you have been through this, due to the conditions with the water, they had a fake setup. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning that, that the committal did not take place directly above the grave where she would be. They would move it after we left. Well, I've seen that a number of times. And we went with the family and had a meal. And, and on behalf of Renee and I, thank you for the church for blessing us. I was so proud of the church. But Kobe, Stacy's oldest, it didn't sit well with him. It bothered him the whole time we were eating that Mamaw Smith wasn't where she was supposed to be. So after it was over, we drove back to the cemetery, walked back out to the first graveside spot to see the dirt mounded as it should have been where she was buried. We shall not all sleep when Jesus comes, but we shall all be changed. So that Dorothy's body in that casket, or if you are alive and Jesus comes, we have to shed this. Why? Heaven's a perfect place, amen? It's a perfect place. No sorrow, no pain, no sickness. These bodies can't handle it. I, I don't know about you, Anybody take any medication this morning? What are we trying to do? Live forever in this body? It ain't going to happen. One day God's going to call and Brother Greg's going to breathe his last. And, and if I'm still here and, and, and you have me here, you walk down the aisle and say, oh, look at Brother Greg. How many times did he tell us that's not him? That's exactly right. And, and listen, because of God's love for you, he has patience before he wraps all this up. Now, uh, and that was their problem. So Peter says, when you ask the question, where is he? Verse 5, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition, ju uh, destruction of ungodly men. Some of you have done a great job preparing your retirement, but you've never given the Lord your soul. And one day you're going to leave that for somebody else. The good news is he's still in the life-changing business. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 1, verse 10, 
when we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Their question and their charge was, where is he? Nothing has changed. It must not be true. It must not be true. And Peter says, perhaps you've forgotten about the one who spoke the world into existence. Perhaps you forgot about the one who destroyed a wicked world. Perhaps you've forgotten about the one who preserves the world in which we live. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Who? Jesus. Jesus. Verse 8. Do not forget one thing. Don't forget that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And it's like a watch in the night, just a few hours. You see, what we want to do is we want to lower the standard. We want, we want to lower uh, God to our own standard. But he's eternal. There's no beginning. There's no end. His ways are not our ways. And he is truth. And then we get to verse 9, probably the most familiar passage in this section. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number five, God is never in a hurry, and God is never late. God is never in a hurry. Think about that. Now, for a, a number of years, Marcia and Dave lived in Westchester. So she would have to make the drive to church, and oftentimes the train at 73 would get her. So she figured out time. Keisha and Nathan moved uh, to Camden from Fairfield, Oxford. Just a stone's throw from the church. Do you ever have to hurry even when you live close? Okay. Okay, in case you're wondering where I'm going, the answer is yes. Okay, yes. Yes. God is never in a hurry. And the same God that I'm preaching about this morning is never late. He's right on time. And when the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, listen, his plan will be fulfilled. The question yet to answer is, Am I ready? Am I ready? Be very careful when you say, oh, God, would you come and wrap up this mess? Folks, God's timing is perfect. And when he's ready, he'll come. You know, the Bible refers to church as the bride of Christ, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, one day coming back for us. One preacher said, I believe in heaven they're playing wedding music. I believe in heaven they're playing the wedding march, the bridal march.
the good news is he's not slack. Translation could be slow or delaying. He will keep his promises. Why? Because he's a promise keeper. Why is he putting it off? Because of his love for us. He is long-suffering. And I'll close with this. I believe Peter is addressing an ungrateful heart. This is a picture of an ungrateful heart. Man's sense of security somehow uh, is embraced in the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet. So Peter's battling this mentality because he hasn't returned, it's not true. And we'll do our own thing. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. Romans 13, 11, And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Hebrews 10, 37 through 38. And yet, a little while, he who is coming will come back and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. The promise keeper is coming. Are you ready? Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're a Christian and, and you recognize that there has been a time in your life where, where something happened, a transaction took place, you trusted Christ, you gave Jesus Christ your life, your heart, your sin, and invited him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior.